couple of quiz questions almost. But who do you think are the two players who have the most? They played three thousand three hundred thirty-three minutes this season. Uh, just two players have managed to do that. Are they goalkeepers? They are. <laughs> Edison. Fabianski. It's. Okay, so we are recording this Premier League review 2021-2022 before the last match of the season. A Just very for, wise thing to do. For some clarification, yeah. What do you mean by that? I'm being sarcastic. It'd probably be better <laughs> if we knew the outcome, but we won't be here together, so... So we're getting it done just beforehand? Yes. So I think, well, we've done a previous Premier League prediction at the start of the season mm. and we did I listened back to a bit of it we weren't too far off in some in some moments I can't remember what my predictions <laughs> were I think I said Chelsea to win the title which unfortunately they didn't come close what are your thoughts on that Jacob? <laughs> we were close to a bit Man City Liverpool just way more consistent their depth showed a lot better than Chelsea's throughout the season and we yeah as a chance we've got too many uh Weak mentality players, as everyone yeah. seems to I think the turning point in your season was Lukaku mouthing off, really. He took a real dip in form after that, I believe. Yeah, that was a weird one because I'm pretty sure he'd, he'd come off a bit, he'd gone for a little dip of form anyway, and then he'd come off the bench. I think it was literally to start the second half against Aston Villa and was like unbelievable playing off Park when they won that game. And then I'm pretty sure the interview came out like two days after. And the interview was just so bizarre because he did the interview while he was injured. Like he was injured, I think it was either through COVID. I think it was like accumulation of either COVID and injuries. So I think he was out for like a month. And then he was just, he was basically, you know, he was wanting to sound good for Inter Milan fans, which you can understand. But then you should do that, and then not slag off Chelsea fans as well. Not that he was doing that, but he was just saying that he realistically he'd still rather be in Inter Milan, and that he doesn't really like Tuchel's style of play when he barely played. He'd only played like four or five games. I'm pretty sure because he was a late signing in the window and I'm pretty sure he wasn't, it was what, mid-season, so he wouldn't have been playing too many two games, so it was a very bizarre thing to happen, uh, but that's, that's the Chelsea way, I guess. <laughs> Didn't come across well at all, and that wasn't the only bad thing to happen to Chelsea this season. <laughs> Obviously, with uh, things going on outside of the UK, there was implications for Roman Abramovich and, and Chelsea as a club, so... Do you think that's had an impact in the last couple of months on performances? Uh, I don't think it has, to be honest. I think it's because uh, we've started, we were all right in the games when like the news broke. I'm pretty sure we won like three or four in a row after that. Uh, and then I think as it's got on, I think it's more the players just getting tired. To be fair, I don't really know about Man City and Liverpool, but Chelsea do seem to get quite a lot of injuries, more called reoccurring injuries. So, for example, Kante's been like out for at least, I don't think he's been available for like a month in a row type thing. And I think Kovacic has had loads of niggles, like our midfield has been very inconsistent. And then you see Liverpool Man City players, I'm pretty sure they've been, they've remained quite fit, which obviously is not luck because I guess that's how professional you are, but it also you can't win the league title if you get inconsistent injuries like you saw with Liverpool last year. It is a big part to play. Uh, not that Chelsea are going to win the title, they all stayed fit, but I think... I think that's more of an issue than the Abramovich thing because I think I don't think that would really affect the players too much. I mean, there was all talk about oh you're gonna have to start walking to games, getting the bus to do 
doing seven hour bus trips that was never really going to happen it was very overhyped and people were preying on the downfall quite easily but it was all going to be sorted eventually so I don't think that could have been the only thing is maybe the support because uh, only like half of the stadium was full for the last few home games because of they were only season ticket holders you couldn't buy any tickets through general wow. sale and stuff like that so then yeah so maybe the support and that, that's the only thing that's only being in recent ones by that. I don't blame that at all for the Champions League or the Premier League I think we was already out of the Premier League by the time where ownership came about but we've had top four secured for a while so so outside of Chelsea and if we reflect on Man United as well one of the issues that I found this season and you might be the same is when you support a team in the Premier League a lot of your effort and yeah action to watch it is based on the watching the teams around your team so you might not be interested in a Brighton Wolves game for example although they are near Man United <laughs> in the table but what I'm trying to trying to ask is when you for, for me anyway when you watch Man United or Chelsea and they're not in the running for things particularly in the last 5-10 games although they're not doing well do you, you lose interest in football in general if your team isn't doing well yeah, definitely. The only reason I'd watch a football game is because of its implications to my own team. I, I'm not that passionate about football that I'd watch a game entirely as a neutral. I'd need to have some stakes in it, and if yeah, there's no incentive there, then I can't really be bothered. And Man United have been out of any sort of race for a long time, so <laughs> my interest is gradually yeah, taking a dip, and I think Jacob's found that with Chelsea as well. I just can't be bothered with them at the moment because we've, I think we've had top four, well, not officially, but I've in my head known we're going to get top four for the last five or six games. And yeah, I'm like, for example, Chelsea playing tonight. I'm not too, I'm probably not going to watch it. I don't know. And I think it is also part of me is we play better when I don't watch. That's what I have recently realised uh, <laughs> because I can't remember which game it was, but I just do better when I don't watch. So, And there's a game that don't really matter. Yeah? yeah. Well, there's a game on tonight which you probably won't be tuning into. So, <laughs> when I look at the Premier League table, I can see that there are two relegated teams already in Norwich and Watford, and quite a tight race that's going to stretch hopefully to the last day of the season because we've got Everton and Burnley playing tonight. But we've got Everton, Leeds, and Burnley uh, fighting for survival. So, I know it's hard to remember previous season survival races, but what have you thought of this year? Um, in terms of the team's scrapping and has there been any, any team that's impressed you particularly? Well, I think with this season more than any, the quality across the board has been amazing. Like, there's no longer a gulf between the top teams and the lower teams. Everyone's got a quite a respectable points tally. And I think, yeah, the relegation battle has like been the highest points ever, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, apart from, yeah, apart from Liverpool and City, I believe everyone could take points off anyone. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think we're in the high 30s or it's going to need, it might need 40 points to stay up for, I don't think that's possible for him, but I think it'd definitely take high 30s to stay up. And I think it's been an interesting, I think, because I think with this one, it might not go down to the last day because uh, I think this midweek fixtures might be quite crucial. Uh, but it's probably been one of the better races in the latter half, even if it doesn't go down to the final day, there's been pivotal moments and pivotal games. Uh, which has decided the relegation battle. For example, Everton, I think they've got on a great winning streak at home against big teams. They beat Man U, Chelsea. I think there was another big team in there somewhere. Whereas Burnley, obviously, they sat Dyche and went on there. I think it was a four-winning streak. And then Leeds have kind of... 
I don't know how they've got down there because I think they've been on the poor in the form, but then I don't know how many they amassed that many points to not be in danger until that last five games or so. They've kind of because like Bielsa, I guess they must have had a good. I don't think they had too much good start. I, I don't, don't know how they got they, that many points. I don't think they've ever hit any good or bad form. They've just been consistently inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> so they win a game, then lose three, then win, then maybe draw, then lose three again. So it's not been like they've hit a really bad patch. It's just been consistently quite bad. And the way, one of the reasons that they're currently knocking about there is in their last five games, they lost 4-0 against City, 2-1 against Arsenal and 3-0 against Chelsea. So their running's not been amazing. Exactly, so that probably means that they should have They've, they had easier fixtures, which is why they're up there, maybe. Yeah. That's another point, because that's what you think. Sometimes, you, you overstate like you do with fixtures. You think, subliminally, at like the halfway point, some teams would have played a lot easier fixtures than others, and that's why there's a lead at the top, and that's why there's a there's a deficit at the bottom. Uh, and then you don't really feel that until you play like last five games. It's like, oh, we've got, uh, like, for example, Leeds have got three massive uh, teams who they've played recently, whereas... Uh, I think Burnley haven't had as big a teams play, but I'm not quite sure. But yeah, that's why uh, they're down at the bottom then. Definitely. And I think a quick note on a couple of teams that have surprised people this season. Obviously, firstly, Brentford. We did tip them in our preview to, to struggle, but they actually look like they're going to end up in 11th, possibly 10th. Um, so have you watched any of Brentford this season? And what, what have you made of them, if so? Uh I remember watching the first game because it was the first game of the season against Arsenal uh, and I thought from that they'd be absolutely fine uh, but then they went on quite a bad middle run through the season but then they've really picked up. I think Christian Eriksen's been massive for that. What a signing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why someone... If he was clear to play, I don't know why a better team didn't pick him up because he, he'd not actually been out of football that long so it was only Euros which he obviously last played in so it was only... And he was training with, I'm pretty sure, into my, I'm pretty sure he trained with Tottenham... I think Conte offered him to train in the facilities at Tottenham to uh, allow his comeback. I'm, I'm very surprised mm. it, it went down to Brentford. I'm surprised. Well, I'm surprised Tottenham didn't maybe get him again, or you know, someone of that tier. So Arsenal maybe would have gone there, but you know, someone just outside that top four uh, getting him. But yeah, I thought I thought they would be fine from what I've watched. But then I don't watch him too much. But. Sorry, in Newcastle, they obviously Newcastle, had a, had a sacking, but. They've made a few good signings. Obviously, they had a takeover, and, and now they're sitting pretty, quite pretty in 12th. Yeah, they're a strange one for me because I think, yes, they've built loads, they've got loads of money. But when you actually, well, they've spent loads of money, but when you actually look at the team, they kind of spent for the future as well, so you wouldn't expect them to do that well immediately. Like they had Trippier, who obviously that's not for the future, but he got injured pretty quickly, but their, their forms continued. Uh, Gamares is a great player but he's one of the younger ones I thought that was like quite a, a project signing type thing but he's made an instant impact Chris Wood's not even done that well as a signing it's more the players you know uh, like Jolinton who was already there at the club so it's one of those where it's like I think Eddie Howe's getting a lot of plaudits and then people are saying plaudits why he spent so much but then also on the other hand when you actually look at the signings, they were maybe for longevity and Trippier got injured, so he's done a great job with that current squad because there's not been too many changes to that current squad when you really dissect it. Yeah, Newcastle aren't a team that should get relegated. They're such a massive club and, yeah, massive fan base as well. They should really be challenging for, like, top half of the table consistently. And I don't think their squad's even there yet. They need a lot more investment to really, yeah, be up there with the big hitters. 
which they should be because there's such a legacy around that club, definitely. It would be nice to see them a bit better next season, hopefully. And you mentioned too big to go down. Um, obviously, Everton are in the mix. What do we think is going to happen in the last couple of games and who do we think could go down? Uh, Everton will be fine. I'm pretty sure they'll win tonight. I can't remember who they're against. I think it's... Uh, is it Crystal Palace? Um, yeah, it is at home. I think they'll be absolutely so fine. So they've got Palace at home and then they play uh, Arsenal away who I think need Arsenal, to win. But uh, quite an easy win as well. At <laughs> uh, no, I think Everton will be absolutely fine. And I think yeah, Leeds will go down. That's what I kind of think. I think the the real relegation battle has been the last five games or so. I think it's kind of done. I don't think. I think it might go to like the last day, but I think it's unlikely Leeds pick up more points. That Everton two wins, uh, home to Chelsea and then away to Leicester. That was away huge. to Leicester as well. And then they beat Man U a couple of weeks before that. Yeah, those some big results for them indeed. So moving on up the table, um, we can see that most of it has been. Well, actually, some of it's still yet to be decided. Um, in terms of the battle for Europe, West Ham and Manchester United look set for European places. And then we've got Arsenal and Tottenham fighting out for fourth. So that's been an interesting one because for months now, I've been pretty confident that Arsenal would make it. They really impressed me and I watched a lot of punditry that suggested they turned a corner in terms of losing that Arsenal way that they had about them. But <laughs> saying that, their last two games, they played in the North London derby. You just think you're away from home, get a draw, park the bus, lost 3-0. And then went to Newcastle, again, still in their hands, lost 2-0. So what's happened there? And are Arsenal ever going to change? <laughs> uh, they will change eventually. But this side, no, they're, they're, not, they're not a great side in comparison to top four contenders. I think it's massively upset they haven't been in European football. So then this should be... For them, when you look at who have been competing against Tottenham, I know they kind of went out of Europe early, but they still had to play those six group games. Uh, so that's an immediate advantage over Tottenham for them. And then obviously even Man U have been in Champions League sort of things. West Ham, that's the main reason why they've kind of dropped out the top four race was because they were pushing for Europa, obviously got to the semi-finals. So yeah, I think Arsenal's, yeah, this was their best chance to get top four for probably two or three years now because I think Tottenham... Now they looking like they're going to get it back. Probably means they're going to keep Kane and Son. Maybe even keep uh, Conte. So they're they'll going to get stronger. I think they look really good going forward. Uh, Got some good signings like Romero. Yeah, and Kuleski. Kuleski. That's right. They're looking solid. I mean, I, I don't see Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City getting any weaker over the summer, especially with Chelsea new owner pledging to spend loads. Man City obviously gone and got Haaland. Uh, Liverpool, they've obviously got Diaz this season. I'm pretty sure they'll make maybe another one or two smart signings in the summer. So I don't see those three budging them. I mean, Tottenham will be able to get some great signings in with Champions League football as well. And I think it's a massive loss in sort of signings for Arsenal because obviously they do need improvements and that's going to suffer now for being in Europe. Arsenal are still quite a young team, aren't they? So you can see them getting better as well as players like Smith Rowe develop. And it comes with that mentality as well, because there's so much youth in that team. They're not really mentally there, and that's why they keep bottling these big yeah. games. So I think it's going to be a massive task for Man U to compete next season. Because I think, yeah, that top five is just going to be so strong that we'll have to try and break into it somehow. And I can't see how, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, well, with, with Arsenal's mentality... I think it's a massive problem because I do think they think they are a lot better than they are, which is going to cause them problems. Like, see Ramsdale tweeting off 
here, there and everywhere and obviously giving it the big and behinds and that to people <laughs> when, again, they're in the top four race when they should be you know, comfortably in there with the amount of games they've had to play this season. You look at Arteta when he's crying in the press conferences saying he, if he speaks he's going to get a six-month suspension, <laughs> which is just absolute <laughs> giggles. It does seem a bit immature and pathetic sometimes. They just need to just focus on the game and less about everything outside it. Yeah, I think they're very weak mentally and the Amazon documentary on them this season is going to be very interesting to watch because I don't know if you guys know, but uh, yeah, they did you know like they did with Tottenham all or nothing. That's uh, going to be Arsenal this year's season, so following around. So That's that brilliant. should be out next year, which will be going to be good to watch. I love the, uh, just a side note, I love the immersion of football into popular culture and films recently because even things like All or Nothing and then you've had Ronaldo documentaries um, and you've had the cycling goalkeeper on YouTube. So I just think that immersion of seeing all the background stuff of football has helped fans like really get on board with it a bit more because I don't know if you, obviously it's quite clear that it used to be a working man's sport and the fan was more involved and then maybe for 15 years they weren't part of that process but it seems like it's etching in through social media and yeah stuff. I feel like maybe the England success of the national team is probably doing that as well that's true so well, then we have the top three or probably focus on the top two because they are way out in front um, <laughs> Man, Man City and Liverpool it's tough for us as United and Chelsea fans to really speak about this in uh and congratulate them but it seems like they are two well extremely good teams and they're fighting it down to the wire again so where do we think it's going to swing for the last game oh, I think Man City won it quite easily uh, well not easily because it's never going to be easy and obviously all these stories of uh, former Liverpool players and the Aston Villa squad and obviously Steven Gerrard the manager uh, could be a big decisive point but I think especially in these last 5-10 games I think Kevin De Bruyne has been absolutely ridiculous uh, and probably pushed them on. I mean, because Liverpool haven't even dropped points at all. They, what, they've dropped points to Tottenham. Like, as well as they haven't lost in 2022 uh, and they're still probably just going to miss out. It's, yeah, ridiculously high level. And I feel like Liverpool, I kind of think it's kind of reversed because I feel like Man City just had this winning gene and that's why they were edging. I think Liverpool have just got that winning gene. However, it's been just a bit too late this season. I feel like they've been churning out results a bit better than Man City this year. It's just a gap. Obviously, it was originally a kind of... Wasn't it like 14? No, not 14 points, surely. But it was, it was getting I to that point. I think it was big, yeah. It was huge at one point. I think I think this year, Liverpool just got that winning gene made because I don't think... When I watch the games, they don't necessarily play too well, but they just they get a goal from somewhere. Their, their defence uh, picks up when we need to. They're getting better depth now with Canate and Luis Diaz coming in which is what they've been wanting. So, yeah, I feel like and that's what I think might sway next season. I think Liverpool now have the consistency that they still had before, realistically, but they have that extra bit of it where it doesn't look like they're going to drop points from anywhere, where sometimes you thought, oh, when we play like a Crystal Palace or like a Leicester, they're going to drop points. I know they lost to Leicester this season, but, you know, I wouldn't see that next year. I think they can consistently beat those teams quite comfortably. Definitely. Um, you just look at the few results that they had, Liverpool had in December and November, they lost to Leicester City 1-0, they lost to West Ham 3-2, drew with Brighton and Brentford. So those points are... It's funny that at the start of the season you're not as fussed with a loss or draw, but in reality those those games where they dropped points there, that was so crucial. Any Just an extra point they would be in a much better position. Definitely. Moving on to other kind of aspects of, of the Premier League, uh, I think I'd like to start with top scorers. In the top five, we've got two Spurs players, obviously Kane and Son. 
but we've got Mo Salah out in front on 22 goals, but Son just behind on 21. So from my opinion, and I did see this on Monday Night Football, absolute credit to players like Son and Ronaldo and even Kane, because those three are in a team, not like, like Liverpool and Manchester City, particularly Ronaldo, doesn't get any chances. So to be up there with, with players like Salah and De Bruyne is incredible because they don't play in nowhere near as good as teams. Um, so what's your take on the... So the top five is Salah, Son, Ronaldo, Kane and De Bruyne. What's your take on the top scorers this season? Well, yeah, like, as you said with Ronaldo, scoring 18 for Man U this season is pretty much the equivalent of scoring 30 because <laughs> how few chances he gets in a game and how clinical he is is just unbelievable. Like, I bet Salah gets five good chances in a game and he often isn't as clinical as it may seem on the scoring charts even though he is a remarkable player so yeah you have to put it in perspective when you look at the teams they play for as you said I think it's more impressive what Son and Ronaldo have done than yeah De Bruyne and Salah yeah well well, I probably think out of the top five I think it's the most impressive what De Bruyne has done because although he's in a good team he's creating them chances for himself he's a midfielder None of the others are midfielders. He doesn't really take set pieces. He takes free kicks, actually. But penalties he doesn't take. And he's just been in ridiculous goal-scoring form recently. Uh, and he's becoming more of like a, you know, evolved Frank Lampard in the terms of, like, scoring-wise. He's getting in most positions a lot like he did. But obviously he offers probably a lot more than uh, Frank did in, you know, other areas. But then, yeah, Son and Kane, it's been ridiculous how they're... They are kind of the sole source of goals at Tottenham at the moment, which is what they probably need to improve on next season. Uh, but yeah, Son's kind of I think because he hasn't he doesn't score like breaks or hat tricks. He just gets one goal in what seems to be every game in the last ten or so games. And then Kane, uh, who we're forgetting, I'm pretty sure didn't score in the first five or six games. Maybe was it? I think he only had one penalty in the early stages because obviously he boycotted the first couple of games. I think because of the uh, Man City transfer talk. So I think that's what we're kind of forgetting as well. Uh, but with Salah, yeah, he had an amazing first half of the season. Goals have dried up quite a bit uh, after maybe AFCON and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, I think it's really impressive what De Bruyne has done. And yeah, obviously Ronaldo, I've got a big, big thing on Ronaldo. But I think everybody says, oh, he's he's washed up and stuff like this. But you you still, and that he only scores goals against Norwich. But as you were saying earlier, Liverpool drop points against Brentford and stuff like that. You need to be winning games against lower teams comfortably which is not what Man U have done, but that's what Ronaldo's goals should have helped him done if they had a solid defence and stuff like that. It's like, it doesn't really, in the Premier League, it doesn't matter who you score against. And Ronaldo, although he normally is a pen taker, I think he's only scored one, maybe even two this season. Just like when you compare him up to Salah and Kane, them guys have been scoring pens, so I think it's a massive overachievement what Ronaldo's done. Yeah, the, the worst comments I've ever heard this season is when a few pundits early on the season tried to suggest that Ronaldo was at fault for... Any of Man United's issues, it was it was absolutely bizarre. That was couldn't be more wrong if they tried. They just love the headlines, don't they? Yeah, especially when it's around Man U, they love slating us for any other reason. That might sound paranoid, but if you actually pay attention, they really love digging into Man U. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Carragher's punditry second half of the season took a massive dip off with his Liverpool bias and horrendous goals. <laughs> it's because he's getting excited about potentially winning the league again or doing the quadruple. Yeah. In terms of assists, Paul Pogba obviously got four on the first day. He is nowhere near the, <laughs> the front. He He's on nine. Okay. So <laughs> just around half of all of his assists came in that first <laughs> yeah. game. Um, you've actually got three Liverpool players again in the top five, two of them full-backs, which just shows you 
and highlights the way that they play. Um, so Robertson and Mount and Bowen on 10 apiece. Trent on 12 and Salah on 13. So again, I think that's credit to... And the difference here, obviously, no City players, even in the top eight. So that shows to me that, well, it's, it's quite obvious that there are just more... City have a slightly bigger squad. And because of so much rotation, and you can have Jesus or Sterling or Bernardo Silva or Ferran Torres in the first half of the season, De Bruyne, Mares, Foden, whereas Liverpool, you kind of can predict their top three, uh, give or take. Sometimes Diaz or Jota comes in. So that's why, obviously, you've got those players who are top for Liverpool in both goals and assists because they're more constant. Um, what do we make of that assist table? And do assists even matter that much? <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're quite an important part of the game. I guess, yeah, you've got to look at set pieces as well because Trent takes every free kick, I think, like especially the crosses. So you've got to put that in perspective. But as you said in Man City, they kind of share the load in goals and assists. It's kind of like an all-round, yeah, fest for them. But hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting with like the Man City stuff because they do do an awful lot of rotation. I, I am surprised there's not more player fallouts because it's only De Bruyne, uh, apart from midfield, they're from three. I'm pretty sure it changes every game. So it's like no matter how well you play in that front three, you're going to be sitting on the bench for 25% of the Premier League games. So it'll be interesting when Haaland comes in if he's going to be involved in that rotation or not because obviously he's like a focal striker and a, uh, you know going to want to be established in that number nine. I think that's a really interesting point, but uh, back to the assists anyway. Uh, yeah, the Liverpool fullbacks, they're always going to be the top sisters for Liverpool, that's just the way they play. Uh, and then who else was up there? Bowen and Mount. Bowen, I think Bowen was the one who I said who could be up there with assists uh, in the preview. Yeah, but then obviously Trent's come into his own in the second half of the season, he's really good uh, with goals and assist numbers. And then Mount's caught sort of being one of those more consistent performers where he's just slowly got his goals tally and assist tally quite evenly throughout the season. Uh, and I think, yes, yeah, he's a huge part of Chelsea going forward as well. And what's been your favourite game of the season? Ooh. Try and try and not include your club if that's possible. I really enjoyed the recent Everton Liverpool game. Uh, that was good. Because it was just, it was such a tasty. Fixture, there was lots of argy-bargy, there was lots of, you know, obviously Everton were the massive underdogs, but they had chance, they didn't have really have chance, but they had like penalty shouts and they always looked like they could do them on the counter with Anthony Gordon. Uh, and that's just one which pops into recent memory because I really enjoyed that game. So, like, the atmosphere was great. Obviously, normally it's level 11 and it's only Liverpool have anything to lose because Everton and always mid-table normally not anything. But obviously, Everton, well, no, obviously Liverpool chased for the title, but they both had huge stakes to lose. And obviously, I think it was 2 0 in the end Liverpool, but it was a really close game for 60 minutes. That was definitely not the highest quality game, but I think that's the one I quite enjoyed uh, as a neutral. There was a, again, I don't know if this counts because it's West Ham against Liverpool. So, West Ham are my second favourite team, and obviously, I really dislike Liverpool. And West Ham won 3 2 in that game. Uh, Alisson own goal in the fourth minute, and then the four hours, I think, hit a screamer in that game. Uh, I was it was really early. It was November. Yeah. So. Yeah, was it? <laughs> it was a really, uh, really good game, and it was. I've got a few West Ham mates, so yeah, it was. It was a great, great victory, and it for me it showed obviously that Liverpool 
we're, we're possibly going to struggle again this season with some games. So I'd say that I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Newcastle have been involved in a few yeah, good ones. I think actually. the opening one, the Arsenal Brentford one, just because Fantastic. that was that was the first time four crowds about which we've kind of forgotten. Uh, but yeah, that was the first one, and the atmosphere was amazing there. And obviously, newly promoted team at home, two 0 against Arsenal. Who I think. Apart from Liverpool and maybe Man United, Arsenal probably like it. Everyone just enjoys it when Arsenal lose. I think Arsenal fan TV is probably a massive point of that. But it's just an enjoyable experience when Arsenal bottle it. So especially the first game of the season to newly promoted team there at the bottom of the table. And that was quite a good uh, and a unique game because it was the first time we saw fans back in stadiums for like a year or so. So it was quite a, you know, you're not going to get that feeling again for any other game really. Yeah, I've got a very short memory for football. <laughs> so I've been trying to flick through the scores to remember some, but I remember Leicester-Tottenham 3-2, which was a very good game, in which Bergwijn scored two last-minute oh, yeah. goals, which was pretty mental. That's I remember there's a really good first half with Liverpool and Chelsea, where it's 2-2. I think all those goals came in the first half. We They're watched, all in the like, last ten minutes of the first half as yeah, well. Yeah, we watched, we watched that in the pub. I remember that being... Quite exciting. But yeah, not too many highlights of Man U. There's 3-2 against Tottenham was pretty nice. But Well, more recently, I, I, I don't know if I had fun watching it, but we lost 4-0 to Brighton and you just kind of... It's, yeah, it's memorable. Yeah. <laughs> Such a weird experience. Um, a couple of quiz questions almost, but who do you think are the two players who have the most... They've played 3,333 minutes this season. Uh, just two players have managed to do that. They're both goalkeepers. They are. Both goalkeepers. <laughs> Edison. Fabianski. Oh, no. Just go for all those goalkeepers. <laughs> it's Hugo Lloris and David De Gea. Oh, yeah, of course. Henderson hasn't played. And David De Gea. Probably Edison's not better though, because I don't think they've ever played Stefan in the thing. Might have, yeah. No, that's odd. He's, he's uh, not even in the top 20, from what I can see. Edison. Might have had a few injuries. Maybe. Um, yeah, quick note on David De Gea, absolutely fantastic keeper, been the shining light in what has been an awful season for Man United. Incredible. Who do you think's received the most yellow cards with 11 this season? I do know the answer for this because I checked recently, but I like Jacob, yes. Oh, don't like uh, Craig Dawson. It's a Leeds player. It's uh, Ailing. Junior Furpo. Wow. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, one of my favourite players. Any ideas on who has played the most passes this season or what team they would play for? Van Dyke. It's the top three are Manchester City players. Oh, Laporte. I'll be defenders just passing it on the back. Yeah. Laporte, Diaz maybe. De Bruyne. Laporte, Cancelo and Rodri. Yeah. Well, and just bullied Steph. I, mm-hmm. Do you enjoy watching Man City games? Not, Not as much. You respect them. Yeah, that's the thing because I don't know because... Obviously, you always enjoy it. Like, I enjoy watching Chelsea when we've actually got something to play for. And I think we do play quite good football, but I don't... That's just because we keep the ball a lot. And obviously, you you get, like, a weird feeling when you've got the ball, you're happy type thing. And I'm quite a patient football fan. Like, I don't need... Like, I don't mind a bit of, like, you know, passing combinations to get into good positions. Like, I quite enjoy watching that sort of stuff. But with Man City, they just seem to... I don't... I think they're probably quite similar to Chelsea in that way, but obviously better. But... I just think because I'm not a fan of them, it's just boring to watch, especially when they play lower down teams and they 
they normally just win 2 3 nil, just doing the same and they just their goals are all the same it's just a cross into the box and it's not like a back post finish or they're all very similar scenarios I just think it's really mm. boring to watch but I don't know if that's because it's just painful to watch because yeah. they're so good it's quite mechanical yeah but in a good way I guess because that's what they're aiming for but it does seem yeah very structured and very patient which isn't yeah I probably enjoy watching Liverpool more because they're just a bit more they've got a bit more energy and a bit more spontaneous and exciting but I'd be very two bored different very, very different styles definitely I'd be very bored if I was a City fan yeah. for a number of reasons so you've got the two players, uh, it's very obvious, Alisson and Edison, both with 20 clean sheets. Blimey. So depending on how the last game goes, they'll both share Golden Glove, which is fair enough. Yeah, well, Edison is awful, so I hope he doesn't get it. <laughs> I think if you were to look at it, and we can do that now, you would assume that Alisson has made more saves than oh, Edison. I think so. I, don't, I doubt Edison will make more than... Like, 30 saves this season like, he doesn't have to do anything and then when he is required to do a good save he doesn't and it goes in so Edison's made 60 Alisson's made 78 mm. and David De Gea <laughs> well um, Melier for Leeds is the top with 139 but David De Gea has made 126 saves this That's season so Manchester United what's that been about 4 a game on average 4 or 5 a game yeah, four, over yeah. over four. Yeah, oh, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, Cashmas Michael's third, so that surprises me. But Leicester's defence hasn't been great. No. But it's embarrassing for many United defenders. Absolutely embarrassing. And yeah, obviously one of your better players in because if you know if he just lets ten more of those in, then it's I don't know how many goals you've conceded this season, but I imagine it'd be a record high, maybe. Yeah, I mean, where would we where would we be without him? Probably yeah, eight for ninth really. <laughs> like they've been really good saves as well. Like every single game, I remember like a couple of like world class saves. He hasn't just been like parrying shots and stuff. In terms of signing of the season, mine is obviously Ronaldo, and I appreciate there's bias in there, <laughs> but no one else has kind of really absolutely smashed it in my eyes. Who would you say is your signing of the season? They do the January ones, and everyone's saying like Luis Diaz, but. I'm going to say his name, Dejan Kul, I can't say his name. Go on. The Swede for Tottenham uh, has been a much more impactful signing, especially in the Premier League. Uh, so he'd probably be one of the, the winter signings, sorry. Coutinho? He's not, I don't think he's been that good recently. I think he decent start, but I think he's faded off. But yeah, when we're talking about summer signings, it's so long ago, I forget, <laughs> I who, I forget who's been signed. I mean, Grealish was the most expensive signing, wasn't he? But I think he... It, it's like second season syndrome with Guardiola for a new attacking striker. It normally takes him a bit to get in. And then they get for So I think Grealish is going to be quite dangerous next year. We're trying to think of Liverpool. I mean, Canate, who hasn't played too much in the Premier League, I think he's been a great signing for Liverpool. You've had players like Romero, Aaron Ramsdale, Dan Byrne. Yeah, Romero has been very good. Quite a lot of yellow cards, but if he, if he gets a bit more disciplined, yeah, I think he'll be a great defender and like a... What do you call it? A stem for Tottenham. I found a website that's given Martin Odegaard the uh, the number one pick for PL signing of the season. Yeah, he has good. been decent, to be fair. He's a good link-up player for Arsenal, but... I don't think he's got too much final product about him, but, I mean, he's one... Yeah, he was playing for Real I Madrid. think... Uh, I don't, when was Ramsdale signed? Start of the season. Yeah, I think he's been very good for Arsenal because they haven't really found a solid, consistent keeper for a while. He's pulled off some 
decent saves. He's often quite like showboaty, like he makes a big deal out of saves that aren't really that hard. Bruno missed a penalty and he celebrated like crazy. Yeah, he's didn't a bit he? of a dick. <laughs> Good keeper. So that's basically the Premier League in a nutshell. Um, a quick note on a few other things as well. We've been watching quite a few penalty shootouts recently. <laughs> let's let's just touch on the playoffs because I find the playoffs very interesting and I said this to you both a couple of nights ago. Why I think the playoffs is even more risky than, for example, a Champions League or Europa final or an FA Cup final is that there's just more to lose. So I know obviously it's so amazing winning a trophy but all of a sudden you play those that amount of games and then there's that potential to lose a penalty shootout and all that financial and just heartache of the whole season so that's why I think it's almost bigger than most other competitions what do you think of the the setup and the uh, the final three games of the season yeah I think the playoffs is really interesting to watch I think you know, contrary to what we were saying earlier, I think I can watch the playoffs regardless of the teams involved just because the it's not is more often the atmosphere which is ridiculous. Uh particularly in the semi finals, like I think the semi finals is probably better than the the second leg of semi finals is often better than the Wembley finals because Wembley, especially in that League Two one, they can't fill the stadium because they're smaller clubs who have, you know, only three thousand home fans in attendance on the regular. I think, yes, I think the semi finals like we saw in the Nottingham Forest one, it was a great penalty shootout. But what is getting on my nerves is pitch invasions. Yeah. Uh, they're getting a bit boring now. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a time and a place. And uh, mm-hmm. when you've not even got promoted yet, I think it is getting a bit boring. But, yeah. Yeah. And dangerous as and, well. I know. Think just... of the players. Honestly, I worry for them. <laughs> well, did, did you guys see the Billy Sharp pen book? Some yes, guy just yeah. spit him. Yeah, yeah he's got jails. That's mental. For 26 weeks. Oh, if it's Billy, Billy Sharp, Billy Sharp did. Uh, on the Nottingham Forest pitch invasion, the fans just went straight into him and headbutted him. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's where it like steps over the line and stops being about like fun and enjoyment well, and just gets a bit violent. And I, I think it'd be because like you don't then get the opportunity to like do like a lap of honour of the players and stuff like that, which mm. I think would be a more enjoyable environment. I guess, I know, but I mean, you yeah. do forget that all football fans are mostly drunk and. The players were like being escorted off by security guards and policemen, like yeah. even the winning team. It's like they're not enjoying this, are they? You've just yeah. kind of ruined their night now. The annoying thing is we've still had issues this season, and I don't know if we'll ever stop, but with fans and with, with football. So we've still had instances of racism from fans. And then I think there was a Leeds game where there was so much paper towels, or I can't remember what it was, it was thrown all over the ground. Yeah, yeah, it was like paper stuff wasn't it yeah and then you've had um yeah just instances of, of of fans still thinking it's okay to throw things on the pitch um and what's frustrating is that from the average consumer of football uh, a couple of years ago you had things like really positive things like england the england uh, world cup and then things with rashford and trying to change the stigmatism around football players and football fans but things like that are frustrating because the average person who's not that into football sees that and has a negative attitude towards football whereas I think it's so important to society and to people's happiness but it's just that few that minority still that are letting it down a bit yeah. at times it's, yeah you can't just put all football fans in one category as being like these very ignorant people because football is such a universal sport it's like you're including everyone then it's just yeah a small minority of drunk idiots who just ruin it for everyone and finally, what do we think of the European competitions and the introduction of Europa Conference this season? 
conference, I have no idea what that's about. I haven't paid attention to it. And I'd hate it if Man U got that, because I'd rather just not be in Europe. It just seems a bit pointless. I know it's something else to play for, because they kind of introduced more of that now, just trying for other lower teams to fight for something. But Europe's meant to be, like, for the elite teams, like, you're the best of the best. And having, like, teams like Wolves potentially getting confidence is, like, it's a bit meaningless. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but then... It's turned out to be a Roma Feyenoord final, which I think is still going to be a great game because Feyenoord and, you know, a huge Dutch team uh, and Roma are obviously a huge Italian team. So obviously the final will be a good final, but it's just a group stage where you get these teams you've never heard of at mm. all. That's where it's more draining, but then it's like, yeah, finals. Then, then if you're the final for all the mid-table teams or things, you'd sort of get some old, like, great teams. So then where's the line? So yeah, there should really have been a line. But like, you know, so I would be against it, but I'm, I'm going to quite enjoy watching the Roma final final. But I think furthermore, which is going to ruin the game, uh, game is like on the international stage with, uh, no, sorry, with a, with a new Champions League format. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's going to be an increase in, in games and teams. And there's going to be, for the qualifying stage, you're going to have to play uh, in bigger groups. I think it was originally proposed at 10 games for a group stage. But now it's gone down to eight. So it's just all the money-making teams get as many teams as possible. And I just think 32 is just such a great number. It's, you know, 16 for Euros, how it should be, because now you have, like, best third-place teams in the Euros, which shouldn't it? Should be, it should be easy to understand for the neutral. It should be 16 for a small tournament, such as the Euros, where you still want a decent size. But you don't want too many, you know, uh, whales sneaking into the later rounds when they should be just, like, top twos and stuff like that. And then, yeah, with the Champions League, 32 is just a great number to get, a, you know, a few potential surprises in there, but also the elite. And then it makes it interesting when Man U are having to try and get top four to qualify. Yeah. It makes it interesting for when, because then it means, because then when you miss out, so for example, when I've been a Chelsea fan since, you know, as long as I can remember, when I've been like really paying to attention to sports, like from 2010 onwards, we've only been in the Europa League twice. Uh, we've won it both times. But I, I know how much it feels to be in the Europa League rather than the Champions League. So it makes you appreciate the Champions League more. And the fact that it's just getting more and more, you know, just anybody can get in. It's, it's going to ruin it. And then it's the same on the World Cup stage. And they're trying to get 48 teams involved in the World Cup, Girl. which adds more confusion. Three teams, group stages. It's just pointless. 32 is just a great number for a tournament size thing. Very passionate about that. Yeah, because no, it will happen. It's more the yeah the Champions League ones just thirty two it's just perfect you have eight groups top two qualify sixteen groups so it's just perfect length for tournament as well especially for like the World Cups and yeah so the World Cup's gonna be like forty eight and it's like nobody wants to watch Saudi Arabia versus Qatar in a group stage speak for yourself but, that sounds like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like didn't do they not know that if it's not broken there's no need to fix exactly. it exactly but I mean. Yeah, no one's not, asking for it. I think, but the thing is, they're not doing it to improve the competitors of the tournament for money, aren't they? So, which will so, never change. But. So frustrating, and it reminds me of what we always speak about with uh, massive commercialised things, where they we spoke about Marvel and Disney yesterday. It's the idea of just plugging us with so much and thinking, oh, they like football, so they're going to like Saudi, like they're going to like all these games. And I think the more football we get pushed at, for example, this Europa Conference, I've not watched one minute. I had no intention because I don't even watch the Europa League. I barely even watch the Champions League games if an English team isn't mm-hmm. in it. 
So it's that idea they've just got so much now. Mm. And when when the football is on a Saturday, a Sunday, you've got Monday night football, Tuesday, Wednesday, Champions League, Thursday, yeah. Europa, and sometimes there's a Friday night Premier League game. Come on. Give yeah. us a bit of time. And I think the thing, because with so like the most vocal probably people who speak about football that is like Gary Neville at the moment in football, obviously he works with Sky, so he would never speak out against some Monday night football and stuff. But like, I've not seen him say anything about these Champions League formats and like the World Cup formats. And they're way more damning than the stuff he talks about. Like, uh, he was being criticised for COVID. Uh, like, Arsenal uh, complaining about COVID games. Obviously, that's one of game, but that's that's just the thing that happens. But it's like, these tournaments, we should change. Because once they change to 48, they'll never change back to 32. And it's like, once, so once these lines crossed, it's the end for that 32 tournament. Because... There's never going to be less countries in the world. There's never going to be less countries interested in football. It's only ever going to grow. So it's going to ruin it once, once for all, really. Do you think that's a good way of doing it in their heads? That Because they kind of go, well, well, we'll show them the European Super League and they'll really hate that. But once that's Mr. Bonova, we'll introduce this little thing, which isn't as bad, but they might not notice it. Like so, things like that. Because the, pe- the people who are thinking of these ideas, their reputations are scarred regardless. Of, so they can, it's like a trial and error for them. Or even not a trial and error, it's a trial to get them to, yeah, and then sweep something under the carpet. Like this Europe, I said, I don't think you, uh, when I just explained the new European format, didn't you seem surprised? I don't think you've heard it. That's they, it's going under the carpet. Because it's not happening next year, we're doing it for like 2024 or 2025, so by doing that. And I've not seen Gary Neville like tweet about it or anything like that, and we need people like him to really make it a big issue. Because for me, like that ruins like Champions League the same as like a European Super League would. Like, I just that would just ruin the traditional format of the Champions League. But also saying that, like my dad says it all the time, a Cup Winners' Cup was instead of Europa League. So it's like the cup winners, and he, he still thinks that like the only the league winners should go into Champions League because that is the Champions League. So it's that sort of thing. So it's like I guess it's one of those where like so he's probably not happy with like the thirty two teams. So it's like is it just gonna be where it's like our kids, you know, in the future will be like oh, this is great. There's no need to change it. Whereas like no, actually it was way better when there was thirty two teams. So that makes it's, sense. It's a complicated issue, isn't it? Yeah, our grandchildren can complain that it's going to two hundred and four yeah, teams. My footballers never get a break because they're playing for, <laughs> same with like the World Cup every year, every two years they're trying to get back. It's just all ridiculous stuff. It's Crazy. Ruined. Football, football, football. Final takeaway for me of the season is my favourite thing that happened is the introduction of cameras that were filming with really high definition mm. with the close-ups, uh, which we, I didn't say we weren't, they weren't stolen, but they were... I think La Liga in particular had them yeah. first. Absolutely fantastic to see that kind of picture. <laughs> That's my takeaway. I didn't even realise that was a thing. But yeah. And you like fucking cameras I in film? I do like cameras <laughs> in film. It's terrible. <laughs> my biggest takeaway was that it's been a very disappointing season as a Man U fan. I kind of wished it was over. But if I was a neutral fan, it's been quite exciting, I guess. Better title race, better relegation battle, better competition. So take it as you will. I'm not happy. <laughs> uh, my final thoughts is that football's getting ruined. Uh, as I've just said before, but then the referee in this year, oh, if you remember at the start, everyone was applauding it, like the first five games. Everyone, I think there was like a, there was one of them was like a strong tackle which led to a goal and everyone was like, oh, 
were really proud that that wasn't brought back for a free because it was like, oh, this refereeing, you know, they're letting, they're letting a bit more contact go in, they're not giving any of these soft fouls. And that just died out. Like, after the first five games, it was horrendous. And as I've said, like, the tournament, once they go 32 to 48, there's no going back. I feel like with VAR, there's no going back now. We're always going to have VAR. And like, I've been an advocate of VAR. I, I really think, as you know, I've got connections to referees. I like referees for a couple of years, so I know how hard it is. But it's like, there's still mistakes going on with VAR. So what's the point of VAR? I only want VAR in when it's going to be 100% perfection, but it's not because people are incapable of using it properly. So it's like, and then it takes, like, I don't celebrate Chelsea goals instantly anymore because mm. I always think, I am, I'm an overthinker anyway, but I overthink, I think there's an offside somewhere, I think there's a handball somewhere, I think the ball went out somewhere, I think there's a foul in the process somewhere. Like, it really does ruin it for me. And, like, I thought at the start of the season, the refs, you know, really picking up, they were doing well. But it's just ruined it. And like VAR's ruined it. And the, the quality of refereeing in England is awful. And I don't normally slag referees off, but it, it is perfect. And it is ruining it. But apart from that, uh, <laughs> Chelsea next season, we're going to finish third again. Lovely. Well, uh, thanks for joining me again on a football related podcast. And I'm sure, hopefully, who knows, we'll all be in different places uh, next year. But we could still zoom zoom podcast. Yeah, we could find yeah, a way to do zoom a PL predictor for 2022-23 season. Yeah, maybe before the season started. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not. On. Thanks, right. guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>